The question this morning is, how important are your personal relationships? How important are your friends? Do you take these things for granted? A hundred years ago, one of my favorite preachers, Harrison Fosdick, said, no materialism can ever equal or surpass the joy of profound personal experiences, personal relationships. No materialism, no wealth, no things, which everybody pursues in the world, can equal or surpass the real blessing of personal relationships. The great English literary figure Samuel Johnson once said, to let friendship die away by negligence or silence is certainly not wise. It is to voluntarily throw away one of the greatest comforts of this weary pilgrimage. The great religious philosopher of the 19th century, Will James, once said, and rightly so, wherever you go, it is your friends who make your world. The ancient Greek philosopher Aristotle wrote in his classic book on ethics, friendship is indispensable to human life. No one would choose to live without friends, even though he or she possessed all the other blessings. Friendship is the bond that holds all of life together. What good would anything be if there was no one else with whom you could share it? If that's true, and I absolutely believe it's true, I ask you this morning, how many friends do you have? How many true, genuine, lifelong friends do you have? Somebody once said that one such genuine friend is much, two are many, and three are hardly possible. A survey once showed that 70% of the American people have many acquaintances, but very few, if any, truly close friends. As a result, most people feel that there is a serious void or emptiness in their lives. I would personally add to that that I think the main reason why there is such a lack of close, genuine friendships in our society today is that we have too much emphasis on self and selfishness. And you cannot have friends and you cannot be a friend if you're only interested in yourself. So what is a friend? How would you describe or define genuine friendship? I'm gonna share some descriptions with you. You may have heard some of them before, but as I share them, I want you to listen to them and ask yourselves, how many people do you know that fit this classification? And of course, the more important question is, how well do you fit these classifications? A friend is someone who knows all about you and loves you just the same. A friend is someone who walks in when everybody else walks out. A friend is someone who is there 
when the good times aren't. A friend is someone who is willing to stand by you in times of trouble and will lift you up when others might be tearing you down. A friend is someone who is always the same no matter where you meet him or her. A friend is someone in whom you can confide and trust, one who will never betray you or talk about you behind your back. A friend is someone who does not take advantage of you. As one old timer put it, a friend is someone who laughs at your funny stories, even though they ain't so good, and sympathizes with your misfortunes even though they ain't so bad. Now those are all good definitions. You could probably add others, but without a doubt, my favorite description of true genuine friendship is what Aristotle wrote centuries ago when he said, what is a friend? A single soul dwelling in two bodies. In his book on ethics, Aristotle went on to describe in practical ways three different types of friendships that we have. And not all of them can you call genuine friendships. First of all, he said, there are friends for utility's sake. Each likes the other, not for who or what he is, but only for what benefit the other person can supply me. That's the kinds of friends the prodigal son had when he went into the far country. That is, they were there until his money ran out. When the money and the good times were gone, so were his so-called friends. Secondly, Aristotle says there are friends for pleasure's sake. Each likes the other, not for who they are, but simply because they bring pleasure or amusement to you. Again, when the laughter stops and the newness wears off and the party's over, then the friends become history. But the third category of friendships that Aristotle described is what he called perfect friendship, a relationship in which each loves the other for his or her value and goodness a mutual respect based upon the essential character of each person. Each loves the other, not for what he or she is, not for what he or she can give, but for who the person is, what their character is all about. And this is the only kind of friendship which is a lasting, enduring friendship that will bring you truly lifelong close friends. It's based on virtue and goodness. But Aristotle says, such friends are rare because good women and men are few. I read another description of different kinds of friendships based upon levels of friendship. And level one is what you might call acquaintances. This kind of friendship is based upon occasional contacts. Such friends can have general conversations with each other. They can talk about the weather or the sports 
or the latest headlines in the news, but not much more than that. These are the kind of friends that you run into again when you go to a party. Level two is called casual friendship. Casual friendship is based upon common interests, activities, and concerns, like you go to the same clubs together, or your children go to the same schools together, or you're both Democrats or Republicans. Casual friends may offer each other more specific questions and answers, and even share their opinions, their wishes, their goals and ideas in life, but that's about as far and as deep as it will go. Then there's level three, or close friendship and fellowship. Such friendship is based upon mutual goals in life. Such friends work together on mutual projects as they try to reach those goals together in life. And here you might include fellow members of the church who are more than just Sunday morning faces that you see, who are actively involved in the mission of the church on a regular basis, active in Sunday school classes or small groups or CWF circles, for example. But those who truly discover what the church at its best is all about are those who have reached the fourth level of friendship, the highest level of friendship, and that is intimate friendship. And at this level, friends are committed to the development of each other's character as well as their mutual goals in life. Level four friendship or intimate friends feel free to correct and admonish one another because they do it in the spirit of love. They're doing it for the sake of the other person. It's further stated that level three or four friendships are not found. They are only built. And the quality of the effort and of the materials used will determine the quality of the friendship. <clears throat> Surveys show that the number one problem in America today is loneliness. People of all ages, rich and poor, old and young, married and single, suffer from loneliness. Everybody wants friends. And not only do we want friends, we need friends. The Bible says that you were created to have friends. Remember back in Genesis when God created Adam and he was all by himself. And so God said, it's not good for anyone to be alone. So he created Eve to be his partner, saying two are better than one. So again, what good would it be if you had everything else in the world to enjoy, but you had nobody to share it with or talk about it with? Would life be worth living then? If relationships, particularly close relationships, top the list of life's greatest treasures, then our concern ought to be, how do we create these close friendships? And how do we sustain them? It's one thing to make a friend, it's another thing to keep a friend. As Christians, our greatest teacher and example and inspiration is Jesus. Not only does he teach us how 
and give us a good example, but he also gives us the wisdom and the inner strength we need to do it his way, develop friends like he did. As we read in, in Colossians chapter two this morning, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. The whole theme of the New Testament letter to the Colossians is that Christ is sufficient for all of our needs, especially if we want to have close personal relationships. And throughout Colossians, he tells us how we can relate to others in the best way based upon what we find in Jesus. So what does Jesus teach us about how to have friends? Several lessons I'll mention. For one thing, to uh, truly have friends, you have to be open to everybody. Unlike many people, Jesus did not seek to establish friendships with just the rich and the powerful or those who have high social status. Jesus sought friendships with all kinds of people. He had friends in high places. He had friends in low places, especially the poor, the needy, and those that others rejected, social outcasts, you'd call them. In fact, as far as I'm concerned, the greatest compliment that was ever paid to Jesus came from his enemies when they accused him of being a friend of publicans and sinners. He is a friend of the worst sorts of people, they said. Another time they accused him of eating with tax collectors and other social outcasts. He was a friend of Samaritans, whom the Jews hated, and prostitutes, and lepers, and a woman caught in adultery. A rich young ruler once came running to Jesus, and Jesus loved him. Little children loved Jesus. People suffering all kinds of illnesses and problems loved him. If Jesus were here today, where do you think he'd be hanging out? Where do you think he'd be making friends? Well, a good place to begin looking for him would be among the homeless, those in the hospital, those in prison, those in the nursing homes, where elderly people so often feel like they're all alone. A second thing we learn from the friendliness of Jesus is that you've got to take the initiative in making friends. You've got to reach out to others. Jesus didn't just wait for others to come to him. He went out and created friendships. He initiated the relationships. He didn't expect others to be friendly to him if he wasn't friendly toward others. Like the Samaritan, the Samaritan woman at the well, or the fishermen in their boats, or the tax collector, or Zacchaeus up in the tree, Jesus was the first to reach out to others. So which do you do? Do you speak to others first or do you wait for them to speak to you first? The Bible says in Proverbs 18, 24, to have a friend, you must be a friend. That's an important lesson for us because too many people that complain that they have no friends also don't make any effort to develop friends or reach out to others. 
A third thing we learn from Jesus about relationships is that you've got to make the time for your friends. How many times have you said to someone, let's get together sometime, let's do lunch sometime. Do you really mean it? Or has that just become kind of a, a greeting like, hey, how you doing today? Let's go to lunch sometime. If you really mean it, don't just say it, do it. The tragedy of our modern over busy world is that we don't make the time to do those things that are most important. And what's more important than having friends? We so often say, well, one of these days we're gonna get around to doing thus and so, but we never do. We even say, I really mean it, I want to do it, but we don't do it. That's because one of these days means none of these days. We need to do it now. We need to make time for our friends now. A fourth important guideline for building friendships that we find through Jesus is to always look for the best in others. As Paul says in his letter to the Philippians, dwell on the fine good things in others. Nobody's perfect. You're not perfect. Nobody else is perfect. Yet there is always something good in everybody. So when you look at others, don't look for their faults, but look for what's good. Not what's wrong with them, but what's right with them. If there's anything honorable, if there's anything gracious, if there's anything lovely, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things we are told in Philippians. When Jesus looked at others, he didn't just look at what they are now or look at the past and what they had been, but Jesus looks at everybody, including each one of you, for the potential you have for what you can become. Jesus sees the good or the potential good that lies in everybody. What you look for, you're going to find. So if you look for the positive, then you will find the positive and probably develop a positive relationship. In other words, remember the best and forget about the rest. Another way to build your friendships is to learn how to express appreciation. According to philosopher Will James, the deepest need in human beings is the need to be appreciated. People are starving for appreciation. I once read that over in England, uh, there's a place that has something called dial a compliment. And if you're feeling down, all you have to do is dial a certain phone number and somebody on the phone will compliment you, will appreciate you, will build you up. Of course, there's a charge for that service. <laughs> but if people are willing to pay for dial a compliment, then think how much more effective a genuine compliment would mean to them. And one other lesson we learned from Jesus is if you want to have friends, you've got to be committed. Fair weather friends are not really friends at all. Again, as the Bible says, some friendships do not last, but some friends are more loyal than brothers and sisters. Friendship begins with commitment. Yet in our society, 
we throw away relationships like we throw away everything else. Jesus was always there for his friends no matter what. And they knew he would be from the very beginning. Friendship not only begins with commitment, but it is commitment that makes friendships last. Part of that commitment is that you would never betray a friend. A true friend is someone in whom you can confide and trust who will never betray you. As I said earlier, will never talk about you behind your back. You know that they will keep a secret no matter how juicy it might be to share with others. As the Bible says, a gossip betrays confidences, but a trustworthy friend keeps a secret. Gossip separates friends. The quickest way to kill a friendship is not to be trustworthy and not to be able to keep confidences. Therefore, to have friends, you must be trustworthy. So how many friends do you have? And I don't mean acquaintances. I mean true, genuine, close friendships. As I said, it's been stated that one such friendship in life is much, two would be many, and three would be hardly possible. But how many do you have? And more important than that, how good a friend are you?